0: Welcome to the Trademark Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to hear our message today. Another thing we would love is for you to join us in person, whether that's live, online, or if you're local to DFW, come visit our location in Fort Worth, Texas. For service times, location, and everything you need to know, visit trademark.church. We hope today's message encourages you and helps you live a more fulfilling life in Jesus. Martin Luther, the great reformer said to be a Christian, without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. When you look at the whole of Scripture, when you read the Bible in its entirety, it is evidently clear clear that prayer is a central feature between God and his people. When you look at the Old Testament, when you actually look at the New Testament, do you realize that all of those in the Bible did not actually have the Bible? This book did not exist on paper, in organized form during the stages of the biblical characters that we look at. But you know what they did have? So how did they have direction from God? How did they have guidance from God? They had prayer. You see, what would happen if all of a sudden, and this isn't to devalue the word of God, but it's to emphasize that the word of God and prayer are coupled together. If all of the Bibles in the world disappeared, if they were all confiscated, they were all taken, there was no other written word of God, how would we then know what God wants of us? How then would we have connection and relationship with God? We would have prayer. You look at Abraham, known as the father of our faith. Abraham didn't have a Bible. Abraham had communion with God. He had conversation with God. And so prayer is this central important thing. As Martin Luther said, it's, it's to a Christian, it's as if we're breathing. Prayer needs to be such a part of our life. It's as if it's our breath. And so Jesus addresses prayer and, and you're gonna have to bear with me because there's a lot of scripture that I'm gonna read uh, today. So um, it, it might feel a little lengthy, but we're gonna read these scriptures with intentionality. Jesus says this about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father already knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray, and Jesus gives us what we know as the Lord's Prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He goes on to say, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your father will not forgive you of your sins. So as I got into the study of this, there's there a lot to unpack, and so what we're actually going to do in 2023 is we are going to do an entire series just on the Lord's Prayer. Many of you are probably familiar with this prayer, maybe you've recited this prayer. As you begin to unpack this prayer that Jesus gives us, this template for how to pray, there is such depth to it that I think it is vitally important for us as followers of Christ to understand how it is that we should approach God and commune with God. And so I don't have time to get into the depths of it all today, but I promise you in the new year, we're going to be covering it. Uh, But I want to give you just some basics today. I want to give you some uh, historical context and then just some things that you can take home as application for, for you this morning. But as Jesus is sharing with us how to pray, he's talking to people that don't need to be convinced that they need prayer in their life. I think think for the most part, all of us know that we need prayer in our life. The problem with how we approach prayer often is it's a last resort, not a first response. Right? You hear people say, man, I've tried everything. I guess I just got to give it to God. (laughs) What? Like, I don't know about you. I want to give everything to God first because I can't handle it. Right? We need to approach prayer not as a last resort, but as our first response. Something comes up, we're dealing with something, we're going through something, something tragic is happening, something joyous is happening, let's go and commune with God about it, not just put it on the afterburner. So I think deep within us, we all know that we need prayer, but the audience that Jesus is specifically preaching to doesn't need to be convinced that they should pray. Prayer has been a part of their entire lineage in Israelite history. And so there's a lot of things that we could dive into, but I just want to talk about one main thing. The Jewish people, the Israelite people, had something called Shema. Shema was a prayer that a prayer time that had to take place before 9 a.m. and then again before 9 p.m. And then between those time frames, there was what was called the 18, which actually I think was like 19 prayers, but it was called the 18. And this were 18 different prayers that had to be prayed throughout the day. Prayer was like clockwork to the Jewish people. It was encouraged. It was taught. And what had happened over time is that uh, many people still approach these, uh, this idea of prayer with, with reverence. But as we do as humans, we get comfortable. We get routine. We begin to try to check boxes. And what would happen is those hours would roll around and people would just like, I got to say it. They would try to get through it very fast. Then there were other people, the religious elite that Jesus is talking about, he calls them hypocrites. They would make sure at the crucial hours of prayer, they were in the busiest areas of the city. They would be in the synagogue where they knew people were gathering for this time of prayer and they would pray their prayers with their arms stretched out so that people would see them and think, oh my goodness, how religious is he? Or they would intentionally make sure as they were journeying home from whatever it was that they were doing that they were on the street corner where masses of crowds are in the marketplace and they would offer up these prayers. And Jesus says, don't be like them. Prayer isn't so that you can be recognized. Prayer is so you can commune with your Father in heaven. That's what was happening. I wanna read to you these prayers because they were prayers that were connected with three portions of Scripture. The three portions of Scripture that would be read and then prayer would ensue were Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 9, Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21, and Numbers 15 15, verses 37 through 41. And I want to read these to you because I think it's important for us to understand why this practice of prayer And these particular verses were put into place because these verses are to serve as a reminder of who God is and who we are as his people. And so every day, God's people, the Israelites, were to pause, to stop, and to remember who God is and who they were as his people. The first portion of scripture, Deuteronomy 6 4 through 9 says this, Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Man, it was a word for then, but it is also a word for now. Do you know that there is only one God? One God. Culture, society all throughout history has said that there's many ways to get to heaven, that there's many gods. Pick the one that is best for you. As God's people, we are reminded and should be reminded that there is only one God. There is only one creator. It's not popular. It's not nice to say in our culture today, but there is one God. And we're reminded of it in scripture. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one And so our response is then, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Listen to this, impress them on your children. It doesn't say suggest them to your children. It doesn't say, let your kids just figure it out as they go. Let them be who they want to be. Let them decide what they want to decide. No, God says, as my people, impress this idea of who I am and impress the fact that we should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and all the commands that I've given you, impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. It's 2022, so tattoo them on your body if they will serve as a reminder to you. (laughs) Write them, listen to this, on the door frames of your house and on your gate. You think someday, like 500 years ago, Somebody was building a house, log cabin out in the woods, and they just said, you know what? It would be really good for me to write some scriptures down and put that on the the doorframe of our home or as a picture in our wall. Like, we didn't come up with that. God commanded it. There should be reminders in your household of who God is. And so every day, the Jewish people would read this scripture and then pray. Then they would move on and they would read Deuteronomy chapter 11, Verses 13 through 21, if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today, listen to this, if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all of your heart and your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. If you love me with all of your heart, if you serve me wholeheartedly, what is God saying? I will bless you because you're my people. It's a reminder of the goodness of God. But it also then reminds us of the justice and the holy of God because he says this, be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you. God gets angry. The Bible says that God is a jealous God. He is jealous for his people. His anger will burn against you and He will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will not yield produce. And you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. So again, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days, listen to this parents, your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. What's that scripture telling us? This is again a reminder: if you serve me wholeheartedly, I will bless you; if you turn away from me, I'll reject you. I want you to live in the land of blessing. I want you to walk in blessing. I want your children to walk in blessing. You know, the Bible says that God wants to bless a family for a thousand generations. And he said, so that you can live in my blessing and so you can walk in my ways. Set reminders. Teach your children. And then the last verse Set of verses, Numbers 15, 37 through 41, specifically to Moses, the Lord says, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourself by chasing after the lust of your own heart and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Now we don't wear robes and we don't need to put tassels on things, but what is that scripture telling us? Again, put reminders. Put reminders about who I am in the presence of your family. So this prayer time for the Jewish people wasn't so much about just Prayer for the sake of prayer. It was designed as a scheduled reminder to remember who God is and who we are as his people. And as I referenced, it just became routine for a lot of people. It just became the same thing over and over every day. And sometimes when we read scripture, it's really easy to look at the Israelite people or the hypocritical people that Jesus is talking about in scripture and really be like, well, that's not us. Thank God for grace and thank God for mercy and thank the God that we're on the other side of the cross. And absolutely, but we respond to prayer in the exact same way. Think about it. We live in the belt buckle of the Bible belt, Texas. How many of you grew up with saying grace and like you couldn't eat dinner? It didn't matter until everybody was at the table and you had to say grace. You had to say that dinner prayer. And listen, I'm all for it. And I think it's awesome, but how often has that prayer just turned into a, something we have to do so that we can move on to the next thing? A box that we check. That's not teaching our kids to commune with God. Now, I'm, I'm fortunate I grew up in a home where we did pray over every meal and my father prayed over every family gathering and he still does to this day. And he gathers everyone together and there is this time where he consecrates whatever it is that we're doing, whatever holiday it is that we're celebrating, whatever meal it is that we're having, he consecrates it to God. But I've also been in environments where grace or this prayer before a meal is simply just kind of a breeze over joke. It's just something quick so that you can say it and you can get to the food and turn the TV on. And so listen, it would be better not to pray at all. And so I think we have to think about prayer a, a, a little bit more in the context of scripture. What is the use of prayer? It is for us to commune with God, to re- be reminded of who he is and who we are as His people. The Lord's Prayer that we're gonna study in the new year. Listen, like how often, maybe you know the Lord's Prayer by heart. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But how often have we seen that? Like the, the prayer before the game. We all gather together and we say this Lord's Prayer and then everybody's cussing afterwards. No, seriously. right? That's not a prayer for you to win the game or for God to watch you. God doesn't care about whether you win or lose. Just newsflash. He's not intervening in the sports of the world. <laughs> but the truth is like that prayer should be held with a higher degree of importance than just to say and to babble on about it or to say it quickly and to move on without meditating and really thinking about the implication of, of the words that are brought forth from it. And I'm not trying to be heavy, but I, I think we've just gotten very um, comfortable in our Christianity and the world that we live in today. And it's the very thing that Jesus is challenging. Do not get so comfortable that you approach this life with me casually. Because you know what's at stake in this journey? Eternity. And you know what's even at more at stake? Because eternity is for us. Jesus died so that we could get to the other side of eternity. But you know what's at more at stake than anything in our day-to-day? The reputation of God. And I could argue very strongly that who God is has not been represented well by his people. And so what Jesus is saying is, I've called you out to be noticeably different, not so that you could be glorified, but so that God could be glorified and you can be a reflection of who he is. And so he gives us this template for prayer. And again, we don't have the time to get into all of the details of the Lord's prayer and we will, but I wanted to today to just give you um, not a formula for prayer, right? Not like a, a how to necessarily like, okay, this week, Monday rolls around, here's the time, here's the, the words, here's the technique behind it because it's gonna vary for everyone. I just wanna give you some reminders, some, some things I think um, to help us as we approach prayer, if you will, and so it's just three things. Uh, they all start with R, so hopefully they're easy to remember. I got super preach, I got three points and they all start with R. You can't get any more preacher than that. But hopefully this will, will help as you leave this place to, to maybe just look at prayer through a little bit of a different lens, to think about it and to begin to, to practice um, um, prayer in, in a way that I think will deepen you in your relationship with God. And I promise you again in, in the new year, we're gonna, we're gonna dive into this to a greater degree because I, I, I'll be honest, I'll be vulnerable with you. I, I read my Bible really well. I study Scripture really well. I've consistently come to church uh, my my entire life. Like I've served, I, I I give. Like there's a lot of the practices of Christianity that come very easy to me. Prayer for me is a little bit of a dance sometimes, and I don't know about anybody else. I pray, but I don't always feel like I'm communing with God. I worship and I feel the presence of God and I know I experience the presence of God, but I, I, I'm on this journey still and, and, uh, of really, and I think everybody is and I've talked to several of my friends who are pastors as well. Like, There's just something about prayer and I think it's because there's so many distractions in our world that it is so hard for us to just do what Jesus says, to go up into our room in a secret place and to just be alone and commune with God. To put our phone down to turn off distractions. To, to even be able to just slow down so our mind starts, stops bouncing off the walls. I don't know about anybody else. I try and it's like my mind is just firing on all cylinders. And so hopefully these approaches to prayer will be, will be helpful for you. But it's a journey. And again, as we just said, God's not looking for Perfection. He's not looking for you to be perfect in in all of these things, but he does want you to practice them because the more you practice the things of God and the more you practice being with God, the better reflection you will be of God. And so three things very quickly when you approach prayer. The first thing I would say is approach prayer relationally. Approach prayer relationally Jesus gives it to us in the very first part of this Lord's prayer. He says, our father, that is relational and that is good news for you and I, because the practices of all of the religions are that there is a deity who is distant and far from us, who simply wants something from us, but doesn't want things for us. But Jesus says, no, no, no. God is not a distant, far off God. I came to reveal to you that God is father. He's father. He wants a closeness to you. In Galatians chapter three, verse 26, it reminds us in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith. God is our father. And as we'll study A little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter seven. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So when you approach prayer, listen, you don't have to approach prayer in some uh, systematic way. I don't know what your background is. I I didn't grow up Catholic. I know that we have many people that grew up Catholic in our our church, and I was unfamiliar with the rosary, but I attended a a funeral service a couple years back, and uh, I did the rosary for the first time, and I believe that there are a, a lot of beautiful prayers in Catholicism, and I believe some of the words are very significant, but what ends up happening is it becomes a task sometimes to how many times you have to say these words re- repetitively. And I think there can be beauty in some of that when you approach it with the right heart. But listen, we don't have to approach prayer systematically. We need to approach prayer relationally. Our Father coming with confidence as a child runs into their parents' room. I was on a trip this week. I went to a pa- pastor's conference and uh, my, my son, you know, um, uh, I was excited to see him. And so like I got in in time to pick him up from his little school on Thursday and I was like hiding behind the like the little, well, they've got cubbies, they do have lockers and like the kids are coming out and I'm like, hey. And like just the way he runs, right? Like, ah, that is the, the visual that Jesus is trying to get us to understand. We, we can come right into the presence of God. He's our father. So, so all fear aside, You're approaching a loving father. There's nothing too big. There's nothing too small. There's nothing too dark that you have done that you can't approach him. He's our father. So we need to approach prayer relationally. But on the flip side of that, we also need to approach prayer reverently. Because the very next thing that Jesus says is hallowed be your name. What Jesus is saying is, Pray our Father, so remember that there's relational equity here, but don't forget who God is. Don't forget his place in all of existence. Forget the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. Don't forget that in a word, all of creation took place. Don't forget that he put every piece of you together in your mother's womb. Do not forget that he created the mountain ranges and that he put the sea in their place and he designed the boundaries for all of it. Don't forget who God is. Don't forget that the angels encircle his throne and all day long they say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So remember when you come to God, remember his holiness. Approach him reverently because the truth is we should not allow God to be so common in our lives that we forget to stand in awe of who he is. We should be caught up in awe of who God is. The Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter nine, 19 verse two, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God am holy. God has defined himself as holy. He's set apart, he's different. There is nothing that is like him. And so yes, we approach him as father, but we also approach him with reverence and awe. And I believe what Jesus is just encouraging us to do is yes, come before him, know that there's relationship there, but also just remember to recognize who God is so that as you are approaching him, he's still put in his proper place. There's not enough words you could use or exhaust that could describe God. God, you're holy. God, you're righteous. God, you're awesome. God, you're magnificent. Your glory fills the world. God, you're beautiful. And on and on and on. That is the approach that we should take. I think too often as we come to God and it's immediately something like, dear God, here's the list of what I need. But Jesus already says, listen, God already knows what you need. Why don't you humble yourself before Him? Because what you really need is not the list of things that you need. What you need is His presence. You need Him to fill you up, you need Him to wrap you up, you need Him to bring comfort. You need to be reminded that He is in control of all things. Hebrews tells us, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Listen to this, because eternity is ours, because there is a kingdom that awaits us, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Listen to this, for our God is a consuming fire. As you study scripture, there's so many times where people are in the presence of God and what is their only response is to take off their shoes and fall prostrate before him. Why? because he's holy. So approach prayer relationally, but also don't forget to approach prayer reverently. And then lastly, I would say, there's many other things as well, and I'll call the band up as we get ready to close. Approach prayer regularly, regularly. Jesus actually never mentions how often uh, we should come to God in prayer. Jesus never says two times a day, three times a day, ten times a day. Like, he doesn't offer a formula for, for prayer. But what you see in the pattern of Jesus' life is he strategically steps away from the distractions and he steps away from all the working and he steps away from even his closest disciples to do what? To be alone. To be alone with God. And so when I talk about praying regularly, you know, 2 Thessalonians tells us to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, right? Pray continually. Maybe the translation you grew up with is pray without ceasing. Listen, I I believe that there's prayer that can happen on the go. But I'm not talking about prayer on the go. I'm not talking about the, the, the prayer you know, as you're getting from point A to point B, I'm not talking about the, the prayer that as your feet hit the ground before you start your day, that God just blessed my day, boom, I'm at it. I'm not talking about, and that, those are fine. Like, don't stop doing that. Pray continually. I think there should be a habit of prayer in our life where we're constantly communing with God. We're just trying to stay in constant dialogue with him. But I, I believe that what Jesus really wants for our lives, and I believe it's in his words where he says, get away Go up to your room, close the door, be alone. And what your father in heaven sees in secret is what he'll reward. What I mean by approach prayer regularly is to make it a regular part of your day, regular part of your week, to where time with God specifically in prayer is scheduled in, where it is intentionally put into The flow and the routine of your life. Because if it's not built in that way to where there's time and we're just hoping that spontaneously, you know what happens? We're all guilty of this. We fill the schedule up with everything. The enemy is too cunning. He is too crafty. He is too involved in the things of the world. He isn't out to kill you and destroy you. That's not the literal. that the Bible is saying, what the enemy is doing is he wants to distract you to death. He wants to put so much in front of you and put so much on your plate and consume your schedule that you don't have time for God. Because he's not interested in destroying you in the here and now. He's interested in keeping you from spending all eternity with your father. So my encouragement would be to Approach prayer regularly. And what I mean by that is to schedule it in. Some of you are morning people. Some of you are night people. What it may mean is you just have to wake up a little bit earlier. You have to go to bed a little bit later. You have to turn off the TV or you have to put down the phone or instead of maybe going to lunch with all the coworkers every single week, you begin to have lunch with God. It's gonna look different for everybody. But I really believe that in the makeup of who we are and the way that God has designed us, the number one thing that is missing in most of our lives is not another blessing. It's not a raise. It's not a better job. It's not more memorization of Bible verses. The number one thing I believe that so many of us are missing is time alone in the presence of God. And so my encouragement to you is that Yes, you would approach prayer relationally and reverently, but you would also approach it regularly because I think it will be a game changer. And as you look at the journey of your life of following Jesus day by day and week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, if you will have time with God, what will happen as that time goes on is you'll look back and you will be changed you won't understand why you're deeper. You won't understand, or you won't see it all taking place. You won't understand the process of it all. But as you look back and you look at things on your life, as we were thinking about God being a healer earlier, I I couldn't help but just think about all the times in my life where I just felt like maybe God wasn't showing up, but I just tried to stay with Jesus. I just tried to stay in God's presence to the best of my ability along this journey. And I look back now and you know what I see clearly is where God was at in all of it. But you gotta be with God and it's gotta be your heart's desire. This is what God wants for our lives. He wants us to be with him. And so I hope this has been an encouragement to you and I hope that this helps you in this area of prayer. And I'm excited about diving into this more with you in the future. Thanks for listening to the Trademark Church podcast. If this message inspired you today, feel free to share with friends, leave a rating, and subscribe so you don't miss any of our weekly messages. This podcast and everything that we do at Trademark Church is only possible because of the generosity of those that call Trademark Church home. If you would like to give to the work that God is doing through Trademark, please visit Trademark.Church. Thanks again for checking out the podcast and we'll see you soon.